no matter where someone's interests are, you kind of be a truffle hound and see where your interests go. And, and then you do the work. And the number one thing you got to check on is the balance sheet. As long as a company is not so levered that in a major downturn, you're going to go out of business, you know, you tend to do okay. On this episode of Early Bird, Randy Barron, a portfolio manager with Pinnacle Associates. Randy joins the podcast today to talk about space stocks, including a look at the current state of the industry and his top space stock picks. If you're an investor looking to stay on top of the latest market trends, then you're listening to the right podcast. This is Early Bird, and I'm your host, Stephen Lerner. Before we get to today's discussion, let me tell you you can save time and beat the market through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter featuring commentary about the latest trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and equity crowdfunding. Early Bird is designed to help individual and non-professional investors stay on top of all of the critical investing trends. The newsletter is 100% free and is sent to your email box each weekday morning. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, today's discussion. All right, Randy, welcome to the Early Bird Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Doing wonderful. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to be talking about space stocks. Uh, before we do that, Randy, um, let's talk a little bit about you. I guess, what should the audience know about you? Um, if you could sort of summarize your biography in 30 seconds, uh, tell the audience what they should uh, know about your background. Right, before we before we look to the heavens. So, um, <laughs> as you said, um, I'm Randy Barron. I am a portfolio manager at a firm called Pinnacle Associates. We manage a little over $7 billion uh, U.S. And the really important thing to know about our firm and our strategy is that we're long only. In other words, no shorting, no derivatives, um, no leverage. We are stock pickers in the very truest sense of the word. Mm. Got it. How did you get into this space? Uh, in, into investing or yeah. into the space space? Well, I've been <laughs> in the business about 20, 25 years now. Uh, I worked a long time ago with uh, some cash flow mavens, um, including a derivative of uh, Mario Gabelli's. And, you know, I've had this really kind of interesting journey, especially we focus a lot on small caps, um, finding new and interesting themes uh, as we go, right? Space is kind of the latest one. The, the thing that I'm probably most known for is uh, synthetic biology, uh, for which I wrote the Investor's Guide last year for Barron's. And uh, kind of every year, although it may be up and coming, like space we're going to talk about today, uh, we look for things that really could be seismic going forward. Got it. Is that why space is one of those themes for this year for, for, for you know for your company is is it because you think it could be seismic well eventually right i mean and again going back to what i said about our, our strategy you know i don't care uh what the smp is on any given day right we're we're not traders we are investors in, in the truest sense of the word so i'm looking out over the arc of time right i'm not trading the quarter i'm not trading the day i'm looking for sound investments that are going to really appreciate for my investors uh, over time. And the, the kernel of space where it started for me was maybe three or four years ago. It's definitely before COVID. Uh, I was at Vandenberg Air Force Base 
that's uh, what's called the spaceport. I mean, this is a really, this is Northern California. This is one of the Air Force bases that was going to be used for when the the uh, shuttle would land. Actually, if you go in, you can see the Army Corps of Engineer actually carved into the mountains so that 30 foot above the ground, you could clear a space shuttle if they had to land there. Anyway, SpaceX at that point was launching a lot from there. They've since shipped it down to Cape Canaveral and to Texas, but they were, sh- they were launching a lot uh, out of um, Vandenberg. And I was there because uh, one of the companies that we're very big on in the space, Iridium, and one we'll talk about in a little bit, yeah. uh, had hired SpaceX to launch its latest satellite constellation. In other words, after 10 or 15 years, you need to replace your satellites in the sky. Who's going to put it up in the air? And in many ways, launch has become a commodity. And what was really interesting is I'm standing on the what's literally called the spaceport, as you and I would think of an airport, is that the guys from SpaceX who were being paid $60 million per launch, uh, Iridium did 10 launches, so $600 million, uh, they were talking about the goal. And this was right when the drone ship was capturing the Falcon rockets coming back, kind of recapturing the booster. The goal for SpaceX was to create almost a recycled product. In other words, if you can reuse a booster, you can reuse the hardware, and all you really need to worry about is the cost of the propens, call it your liquid oxygen, your helium, the things that go into the fuel. You drop that cost of launch from $60 million per launch down to $700,000 per launch. And that kind of seismic difference to me said, hey, this is something that I should put on the radar, even if it's early in terms of investable ideas, it's something that has a real runway mm-hmm. I, I can see how especially with with your company you focus on long-term investments i can definitely see wh- why space might fall under it um randy you know here we are in 2022 space stocks like many other equities out there they haven't performed so well uh, how would you describe the state of space stocks in 2022 so we're steve we're at a moment in time where I'm beginning to refer to this space as SPAS, S-P-A-A-S. Everyone kind of knows SaaS, right, which is software as a service, and how that kind of really transformed the computer sector decades ago. That was the SaaS was the concept where users could access software through subscriptions from companies that hosted it online rather than installing it on their own computers, right? That platform mentality has hit space. So you've got a whole bunch of subsectors. You've got space data as a service, satellite as a service, ground station as a service. All of these promise the benefits of space without the demands of that one-off satellite manufacturing, you know, government regulation, launch integration, all the things that make kind of made NASA the monopoly for the longest time. And now, of course, NASA uses other uh, players. Well, the, the state of the play today is falling prices for satellite and satellite launches the proliferation of ground stations and satellite tracking radars have really combined to clear the way for the emergence of the space that again we're calling spas Mm -hmm. so 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 that's kind of given all that you're you sound pretty bullish in the space even in this year 2022 well again this is not this you're not going to make this your core holding right this is not your IBM or whatever GE, something that, that would, would be uh, the bulk of your holding. This is, and I forgive the tongue-in-cheek comment, a satellite, right, to a, to a diversified approach. Um, but there's a lot of great values. And unfortunately, a lot of the recent space names um, 
Virgin Galactic being one that comes to mind immediately, you know, these are all SPACs, right? And, and as we know, SPACs across the board have really gotten shellacked. But that's not to say there's not reasonable ways to to play the space. I mean, I mentioned Iridium. This is a, a $5 billion market cap company. IRDM is the ticker. Uh, Iridium, uh, which was the reason that I was at that SpaceX launch, you know, they've been around for 15 plus years. Um, it's only now that they are fully in a free cash flow mode. I mean, so much so they're repurchasing shares. What's really interesting to me, and by the way, Iridium, most people know Iridium for the satellite phone. So like our service forces overseas, if you're in Afghanistan, you can't use a cell phone because cell phones don't penetrate mountains. Well, satellites do, right? So all of our service members in the field pretty much use an Iridium network. That's kind of what it was most known for. What's most interesting to me about Iridium is a joint venture they have called Arium. Arion is essentially using Iridium satellite platform to track commercial aviation wherever it is in the world. People don't realize when you fly, for example, from New York to London in an airplane, uh, you're using World War II technology. You fly up and everyone kind of looks at the plane. You've seen the, the screen. You fly up the coast of Canada. You go over Greenland. You come down. And, you know, while it's fun to track, the truth is that's because you're using ground-based radar. When you look back at that Malaysian Airlines flight a few years ago that got lost, 370, mm-hmm. people say, well, how is that possible in this day and age that we don't know where an airplane is, right? And that's a very profound question. Arion is the solution to that. Now, by the way, the British FAA, NAV Canada, which is the FAA of Canada, uh, have all adopted it. We're waiting for the US FAA to do so. But the point is, it's very clear like a thundercloud looming in front of us, that this is an evolution. We shouldn't be using 1940s technology to track. And what does that mean in practical terms? Well, think about it. If I can stack planes closer because my radar is better, not only will I cut off 30 or 45 minutes between that example flight between New York and LA, or New York and London, I can also stack planes tighter together, which in this day and age with fuel the prices as it is, if I can save you 40 minutes of fuel costs on your flight, that ain't nothing. So it's certainly something we track. Good point. When we return, we'll hear from Randy about how to invest in space stocks and about when the industry will become more mature. But first, let me tell you how you can become a more informed investor through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter. Early Bird has commentary on the latest events and trends in stocks cryptocurrency, and crowdfunding. With Early Bird's daily weekday email, investors can quickly stay on top of the trends and beat the market. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, back to today's discussion. So Randy, today we're talking about space stocks. Um, You mentioned what you feel about the space, no pun intended, um, and your feelings on on, on the future. You're pretty bullish on where you see it going long term. Um, Here we go in 2022. What what are some some stocks that you think the average investor, the average trader uh, should have on their radar that are in the space um, sector? Well, we mentioned Iridium before, another one uh, that just cross-listed from Germany to the U.S. Uh, last year is a company called Minaric, it's symbol M-Y-N-A, on the NASDAQ. Uh, this was a company started by one of the early employees of SpaceX who went off and created this company that creates essentially modular laser communication technology for 
long distance wireless data transmission. So it's the idea that there's a lot less obstruction in space than there is in the earth. So why can't we eventually have communications? Like why can't we take our plain old telephone system, POTS? Why can't we put that a little bit more vertical and have a satellite, for example, eventually being a base station for a cell phone, right? Think about if you're an airplane and you use GoGo, the Wi-Fi network, it tends to be pretty terrible, right? You can't stream video. You can't do anything real time. Well, how does that change? How does that improve over time? The only way it does is with a company like Minarc. Um, of note, the Space Development Agency, the SDA, uh, they just in July announced a $1.3 billion final bid to uh, to basically launch a new satellite constellation. And in you know, that's that's for defensive purposes. But the point is, in a world where the Ukraines of the world, the Taiwans of the world are getting more and more concerning, not less so, it certainly feels that having a presence in, in if this was a car maker, you'd kind of describe them as a second tier OEM. You know, Lockheed may be the actual person that's doing the OEM ecosystem, but they've got a lot of component parts. And how do we look, take a step back and say, how can we second derivative benefit from it. By the way, when we talk about SPAS, you know, maybe as futuristic as thinking about mining for heavy metals on the moon eventually, which is something people talk about. But it may also be as basic as saying, hey, who owns the McDonald's outside of Houston? And how do we kind of play it again in a second or third derivative uh, example? So you're not just looking for companies that are primarily in space. You're looking for those companies that are on the per, on the outside, uh, but could still benefit from the growing space industry. Is that right? Correct. That's exactly right. And if you think about the difference between the Gemini program and the Apollo program, and now SpaceX is a great example of this. You know, when our uh, two or three generations ago built these amazing rockets that took us to the moon, you know, one of the great examples was we built it vertically. Why? Because we always did. What What is one of the great innovations that Elon Musk has done? He came in and said, "Hey, listen." Why are we building vertical? Why don't we build these rockets horizontally? Therefore, you don't need to build customized manufacturing facilities. You literally can go and get, you know, commercial space, right, in anywhere and just build it out. And it's it's a it's a rationalization of cost, and it's certainly something that's only been enabled um, in the last call it half decade and, and thereafter where the commoditization of launch is creating all sorts of ancillary industries. And Steve, to your point, we're interested in all of it. Got it. It, it makes total sense what we're you seeing in the future for those types of companies. Um, you know, certainly I think this year, especially for someone like you who's bullish in space stocks, at, you probably think this is a great opportunity to go buy the dip on some names that have gotten beaten up through no fault of their own. Um, I do want to play devil's advocate a bit here. Um, some might say the space industry is still a bit premature, uh, and, and it's it's still so early that we don't really know who the winners and losers will be at this stage. What what, what do you make of that? Well, yeah, I mean th- th- that's a totally valid argument to say if this is 1993 in the internet, you don't know who's going to be Pets.com and who's going to be Amazon.com, mm-hmm. right? I mean that is a totally valid perspective. That's part of the reason why we like companies. Um, like Iridium, that have cash flow, right? I, I don't need to be the last man standing if I have the low ETH orbiting satellite network that generates $2 share of cash on a $40 stock. If I had a 5% free cash flow yield and I'm buying back my shares, I'm pretty confident at the end of the day, 
know, especially since the contract said fund me are eight to 10 years long, then I'm going to be kicking. So I'm not looking, Steve, I, I want to be clear on this. I'm not looking to see who's the winner. I just want to make sure that there's no chance of bankruptcy, right? Let's make sure there's no chance of someone else taking these assets away from me and my investors over time. And, uh, and that's kind of where we spend the lion's share of our work, kind of drilling through the numbers and just making sure that these companies are going to have a viable future. Got it. And, and actually, let's talk about that, that viable future for a second. I'm sure when you've done your research in the space industry, you probably have a pretty good idea of when this industry will become more viable, when it will be more widespread, and when the space transit services will be more readily available for the average person. What, when do you see that? Is it the next um, five years, 10 years, 20 years, beyond that? What, what, what are you looking at? One of the things that we do is we go through the federal communications, the FCC's list uh, for approvals of satellites, and you can kind of get a timeline there, especially on the communication side, when uh, when things are going to happen. So we mentioned SpaceX a couple times. You know, one of the select satellite products they, projects they have is twelve thousand satellites in a kind of twenty twenty three on time frame, but 2028 is kind of the time frame they're talking about. That's pretty consistent. Uh, the earlier side would be like the space links of the world, which have, you know, 2024. But as you look 2024, 2026, 2028, the bulk of these, even one web is kind of still to be determined, but like, let's call it the second half, the latter half of this decade. That seems a pretty appropriate time frame to think at in the next call it eight years or so. Got it. So about eight years from now, you know, this this industry will start to look more mature than it is today, you're saying? Yeah, or, or that there'll be a lot more players, right? Like I'm looking at a list here from the uh, the FCC, and there's about 15 names on it. I mean, then some of which you would know, the SpaceX's and the Amazons of the world, Amazon launching 3,000 satellites between 22 and 2028. Um, but there's also a lot of other names. And, you know, what's what's also fascinating is that there's a lot of startups in the space. And that's that's something new, right? It used to be the world of NASA. You didn't have startups. When you think about kind of the beauty of startups, think about the fact that even Amazon, you know, whose Cooper project is going to develop vast networks of thousands of internet beaming satellites, they're not going it alone. And part of the reason, just think about the government. The U.S. government does not operate at the pace of a Silicon Valley startup. Right. So so SPAS's benefits kind of shift the cost of research and development. You once you shift the risks, their schedule benefits as well. And and the US government, by the way, NASA launching not on proprietary model, you know, they're using SpaceX, for example. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Absolutely. So so you know, average investors, let's say they're interested in space stocks, they're interested in this industry, you know, my recommendation is, of course, speak to a financial advisor. But but what advice would you offer to average investors in, who want to get into space stocks? Well, what would you tell them? Well, you know, we when we talk with retail investors, we talk a lot about invest in things that you are passionate about, that you care about, right? Uh, when people talk about how has this business evolved in the two and a half decades I've been doing it? Well, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to be dealing with sell side firms to get the best and brightest research in the world. For example, we've saw, you know, your podcast, you've talked a lot about kind of ways to source ideas, right? And one of those is seeking alpha, right? Seeking alpha is the true democratization 
of idea flow. And it makes total sense, right? Because if you have a sell-side firm or a bank that publishes on a name, I would never expect a sell-side publishing analyst with 10 or 15 or 20 names that he or she publishes on to know as much about, you know, called Iridium as someone that owns, you know, 30, 20, whatever, 15% of their portfolio in that name. By definition, you're going to know it better. And I think that's been a really interesting evolution. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, uh, as we continue to kind of climb sunward, (laughs) to use the tongue-in-cheek phrase, Mm -hmm. you know, that we continue to do. But I think no matter where someone's interests are, you kind of be a truffle hound and see where your interests go. And and then you do the work. And the number one thing you got to check on is the balance sheet. As long as a company is not so levered that in a major downturn, you're going to go out of business, you know, you tend to do okay. Makes sense. Good to know. Randy, thank you so much uh, for coming on the Early Bird podcast today, talking about space stocks and what the average investor needs to know about them. Uh, before we wrap up the podcast, I just have one final question, and it's the most important question for today's discussion. That question is, Randy, what question do you wish people would ask you? <laughs> um, that's a fair that's a fair question. I, I will tell you that when we're meeting with companies, one of the things I always ask is, you know, what else should we be asking you? And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that, that's totally germane. But specifically to this topic, I would say, you know, why should I care? Right. I mean, that that's that's the it's easy to talk about the what it's easy to talk about the how to find, but it's the why. Mm-hmm. And part of my job as someone who, again, every year is looking for a new theme, a new thematic to go forward is to help paint that picture, to help describe to people why I think uh, in this case we can look skyward. Absolutely. It's always about the why. Good point. Thank you again to Randy Barron for sharing your insights on space stocks. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's discussion. We'll be back next week for another episode of Early Bird. Have a great day. Mm